secrets out. That's what we're doing today. At least once a year, at least once a year, around this time, I preach a sermon on money. Uh, I never want to be a church where all we do is talk about money. Trying to play the God card so that you'll give more and I can drive a fancy car. Like, that's not the goal. But I wouldn't argue. I just, this is not the goal. Like, I don't want to be a church that all we do is talk about money. Like, that's not what we're going to do. But the Bible talks about money. And so at least once a year, we need to take that topic on head on and talk about money. Talk about finances. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, it's just very practical. Okay, it's very practical. To exist as a church like we exist, with like staff like we have, me included, yes, I do feel like this is somewhat self-serving. We have to have money. To have the heat on, you have to have money. So some of this is just very practical. Like, to do what we do and to be who we are, we have to have money. So we need to, let's just talk about money. So it's very practical. And the reason I'm doing this sermon this Sunday is because next Sunday we make public, as we always do, two weeks before the annual congregational meeting, next week the proposed 2023-2023 budget is going to go public. And so you're going to get to see that, all the line items, uh, salaries, expenses, missionaries, you can see all that. We do that two weeks before the annual congregational meeting. And next week, that, so that budget comes out, that proposed budget that has been approved by the board. And then it is voted on by the members two weeks from now, okay? Or, or well, really three weeks from now, but it will be two weeks from when it goes public. And in that 2023 budget, there is a significant change we need to talk about. And so we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But I want to frame that very significant change from a biblical perspective. So I want to just put the scriptures alongside why the budget looks that way and what that might require of us as a people, as a church family. So it's just very practical why this sermon, this Sunday, we're talking about this topic. The other reason we talk about money, and we're going to at least do this once a year, is because the Bible talks about money. The topic of money comes up all over the scriptures. And so in our short time together, what I want to do is take some New Testament passages and glean from that some insight and then draw out of that some application for us right here at East 10th Street. All right? So it's practical and it's biblical. That's why we're going to talk about money. And I want to start where we've already been. So we've already been where we're going to start. I want to take us back to the banks of the Jordan River. If you remember a few weeks ago, we, as we're studying through the gospel according to Luke, and we're just walking slowly through that gospel, we came upon John the Baptist. John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance. This good news of the kingdom here, preaching, telling the people of Israel to turn from their sins. He's preaching there on the banks of the Jordan River, baptizing people. And there was this moment as he's preaching that people come up to him, and we see the scene recorded. Luke chapter 3, let's pick up with verse 10. Here's what happens. What should we do then, the crowd asked. Well, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came up to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? 
And he replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So when we studied this passage, one of the things we noted was what comes before and after this passage is deep theological teaching coming from John the Baptist. But we noted that theology always gets on the ground in practical life, just ordinary, everyday life. So that deep theology of this baptism of repentance and some coming baptism of the Holy Spirit, it got on the ground telling tax collectors, don't cheat people. And telling soldiers, be content with your pay. And don't treat people unjustly. Like it just, theology always gets on the ground. But the thing we didn't note was something standing out in just plain sight. John's three answers all relate to wealth, possessions, and money. Every one of those answers. Because what John the Baptist knew is that money, wealth, possessions, treasures, a love for those things, a pursuit of that above all else, a trust in money as your loan security, well, that's going to do great damage to your spiritual life. It actually will ruin your heart. And so when these people come and say, what do we do? Of all the things he could tell them, be nice to your neighbor. Like, hey, um, don't cheat on the test. Like any of those things. No, what he says of and each of those answers is share. Be content with what you earn. Be content with the money you have and don't steal. Every one of them dealt with something related to money. Decades later, the Apostle Paul is going to say it pretty clearly how significant money is to the human heart. Here's what, it, here's what he says. Paul in 1 Timothy 6, 9-10. through 10, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. A pursuit of money, a trust in money alone, that will ruin your heart. And so in this moment when people come to John the Baptist, Wanting to change, turn around, repent. The one sign that He gives to show something's changing in your life is how you relate to money, possessions, wealth. When that begins to change, God's got a hold of your heart. And that shows something good is happening. That's how significant this topic is. It's something that can ruin you. So when I think about the New Testament, I think about all these passages we could go to. But one of the best is actually one of the longest passages in the New Testament about money. And that's where I want to dig for just a few more minutes. But I want to set the stage so we understand the context as we dig into these two chapters out of this particular letter. The Apostle Paul, many of you know, the Apostle Paul went out into the Mediterranean world and he started preaching about Jesus. And people started coming to Jesus. And then as people started coming to Jesus in different locations, particularly metro areas, they started planting churches. They just started gathering together. And they would study the Scriptures together, take communion together. They would worship together. And these churches were popping up all over the Mediterranean world. And then what Paul would do often is he would go back through those same areas and revisit those churches that were launched from the preaching of the Gospel. 
And sometimes he would write them letters. And he would remind them of all kinds of things and challenge them on things and instruct them on things. And one of the things that began to pop up shortly, shortly after he begins his missionary journey, not even a decade into his work, is he notices just by experience that there are Christians struggling in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is under Roman occupation, is struggling. And these Christians, because they have started to follow Christ, they've actually, they've actually stepped out of some of the safety net of the Jewish uh, network of, 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 of um, these Israelites. And so you've got Christians, these Jewish, uh, these, these Jewish Christians, these Christians in Jerusalem and around Judea, they're struggling. They're struggling. They're struggling in a pretty significant way. And a famine hasn't helped things at all. And so they need help. And now, because of the missionary work of Paul and his co-workers, you have a network of Christians around the Mediterranean world. And some of them are in really big cities, and some of them are actually quite wealthy. Some are not. Some are. And so Paul has the idea, I bet you, those non-Jewish Christians, those Gentiles, that had been so blessed by this message that launched from Jerusalem... Those Gentiles, those Christians in those cities, they need to help out their brothers and sisters over here in Jerusalem. So what he does is, as he makes his way back through many of these churches that he had helped establish, he starts to call on them to take up a collection to help the Christians in Jerusalem that are suffering so, so significantly. Now, some of these churches give, like, just give abundantly. Even out of their poverty, they give. But some of these churches, they start off on fire. Yeah, like, like I'll sign a commitment card. I'll, like, I'll commit lots of money to the cause. But then the fire starts to wane. And one of those churches is the church in Corinth. And in Corinth, they started off on fire. Great commitment. But that commitment was waning. So he does a few things. He writes to them another letter. We call that letter 2 Corinthians. He's got a lot to say to them in 2 Corinthians, but he's going to say in chapters to say something about that commitment to give. He's going to send Titus, one of his co-workers, back to Corinth to make sure, a little motivation, to finish the giving. You, you, you give to help these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. It's time to make good on your commitments. And so we're going to look at this letter where he writes, he writes about this former commitment, this previous commitment they've made. We're going to see Titus showing up, and he's going to do one other thing you're going to see. He's going to point at other churches that are doing better than them. A little competition. Here we go. We're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm going to read it right here from um, this physical Bible, but... Um, I've not been putting the scriptures on the screen lately, but uh, there's so much here. Uh, read along uh, with me here, okay? So we'll pick up 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 7. Take a, take a listen to how Paul talks to him. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, if I could just quickly um, visualize this for you. So it, it, if we're looking at the, the Mediterranean world, let's just do this just big, just big picture here. Uh, Corinth is sitting down here near the Aegean Sea. Macedonia is sitting up here. Okay, 
closer to what we might think of as modern-day Turkey and up in this region. I just want you to, so we're Corinth down here, Macedonian churches up here. Macedonia is a region that has cities like Philippi, like the letter to the Philippians. Okay? All right. Here we go. In verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. The service to the Lord's people here is the funds that are going to go to help those in Jerusalem who are suffering. Verse 5, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you... But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, there is so much we could say uh, uh, in, in that short section, but I want to make one, I want to pull out one point here. The grace of God is intimately, directly tied to generosity. When one is saved by the grace of God, one's relationship to money changes. So that we, we, when we are saved by God's grace, it's not just a matter of, of now we're saved, it's we're now generous. So what's interesting is in, in the passage, and we don't, you don't have to go back and find where this is on those slides, but he notes that you're going to bring to completion this act of grace. And then in verse 7, he calls it the grace of giving. Because God's grace creates a generous heart. So if you're stingy, then you've got to ask the question, has God's grace ever got a hold of your heart? Let me say it this way. I want to summarize it this way. God's amazing grace. You know that song we love to sing. God's amazing grace doesn't just get you to heaven. It gets you to generosity. It's a key point in those seven verses. That when God's grace gets a hold of you, generosity begins to flow out. And you know what, what he does to make the point? He points up to the Macedonian churches and says, Hey, look at what God's grace did to them. And they are giving beyond their ability. I've sent Titus to make sure you do the same. You finish what you said you would do. This grace of giving. So let's not, let's not just think of money just in the realm of the concrete, the practical. It is a matter of God's grace and what God's grace is doing in your heart and mind. Giving is intimately tied to one's faith. Let's go on. Now, I'm not gonna, we're not going to read the rest of that chapter. So just know Paul has some very practical things to say about all of this. I want to jump over to chapter 9. Chapters 8 and 9 deal with money. Pick up. We're going to pick up with verse 6. This is a longer passage, and man, it's a heavy passage. So I just want you to just, just strap in and come just take this journey through these weighty verses, and we'll pull out some key insights. All of it is going to have something for us here as a church family. Here we go. Verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, and not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food well, will also supply and increase your store of seed, will enlarge your harvest, the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity results in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Verse 14, And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His incredible gift. So one thing I want to note. Don't go with point one here, Carol. We're going to go backwards in the slides. I want you to see again how intimately God's grace and generosity are tied together here. And I just want to quickly note that this actually is how it began when the church started. Acts 4. Let's go to that one, Carol. Acts 4. Take a look at this connection. Acts 4, 33-35. We're talking about the first Christians coming together. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Note this. And God's grace was so powerfully worked in them all. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Here's, here's how we know it was at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Side note, this is not an argument for communism. There was no forced selling of land or houses. You can have houses and land and keep them and steward them well. But some people were led to sell them and give the proceeds. This is all voluntary here. But it's God's grace working. And so what do we see? We see right out of the gate, verses 16 through 15, back in 2 Corinthians 9. God's grace is doing something. And Paul is calling them to let it keep doing its work. It's been doing that ever since people have been coming to Christ. Here are some things we want to highlight out of those verses. Just three things. I'm going to pull them and we'll go through them pretty quickly here. The first one is this. So let's go to number one. You can't outgive God. You just can't. So I want to take a, just highlight one part of that passage just to make sure we understand where I'm getting that from. It's this. Take a look. We're going to go into verse 11. So back into verse 11, I'm highlighting that first part where he says, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. When you walk around with open hands like this, guess what? God has opportunity to keep filling your hands. Because what comes into your hands flows out to other people. You walk around like this, 
God doesn't get anything into clenched fists. He will put something in an open hand. And so you can't outgive God. As much as you give, God will give you more to give. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel, where if you write a blank check of faith, it's coming back to you fivefold. That's not what I'm saying. There's no formula here. It's not like, well, if I give $1,000, I'm making 10000 next month. Like, man, this is a good deal. Everyone should be a Christian if this is how this works, right? No, this isn't an investment plan. This is a principle that what you sow generously, you will reap as well. And I don't know how God does this, but I do know this. If you set to be a generous person, you will have your needs met in ways you could have never anticipated. Test God on it. You can't outgive God. So when you hold money back thinking that you're preserving yourself and as you become stingy, watch what happens to your life. Every other part of your life will also begin to fall in on itself. But God will enrichly, just enrich you so that you can also be generous. You can't outgive God. That's something I'm pulling out of the passage. I think it's clear here. It's also clear in some other passages of Scripture. Here we go. Point two. Another highlight out of the passage. Giving leads to God's glory. That is, the most important thing in the world is God's glory. He's the center of the universe. We are most happy when He's most glorified. And one of the ways that God's glory expands into the world is our being generous. Us giving. Us giving to help people with their needs. But our giving to expand ministry. Two places in this passage, it is very clear this is what is happening. Because remember, they are giving to help people in their physical, concrete needs. But Paul looks at that and sees God's glory is expanding in the world. God's going to get praised because of this generosity. Take a look. Verse 11, we're back in 11, but I want to highlight the last part. So he says this, Through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. People literally are going to give praise to God, give thanks to God. They're going to be glorying in God because someone else was generous. That's what happens when we give. And ministries expanded. And then take a look at verse 12. Take a look at this. This service that you perform, which is the generosity piece, this service you give is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When we give and ministries expanded, God gets glory. Man, that's a good thing. It's good for our hearts and it's good for the world. All right, third point. Here it is. Giving also meets practical needs. So this is where it gets real practical. Take a look at verse 12 again, just so we don't miss it. So this service that you perform is supplying the needs of the Lord's people. And that's that's um, that's not figurative language. It's literally going to give them bread, water, and clothe them. It's just practical needs. And remember in Acts 4, that passage we just read, some people were selling land to give proceeds so that people had what they needed, like clothing and food and shelter, like very practical things. So in the early church, people gave so people had what they needed. But there are other needs in the church. There's the need to supply funds to send missionaries out. I didn't put this slide up on a, I didn't put this scripture on a slide, but do you know how Jesus went about doing three years of ministry and not carrying a full-time job? Although that was his full-time job. 
Actually, we'll get to it at some point in the Gospel according to Luke. You know who was funding that ministry? A group of women. A group of women of means. And they were being very generous. And they were supplying the needs of Christ. So, that's a need. is to send out missionaries into the world. Now, this next one is self-serving. I just, there's no other way to put it. I mean, it's going to talk about me. Literally. Not Jason, preacher, but like, it's going to talk about the preacher. Part of giving is to, is, to, is to fund people to be in churches who give their time to prayer and the teaching of God's Word. Now listen, I didn't make up this scripture. It's in the Bible. Now if I made one up, like from Luke 45, like, then you could call me out. But here is, here, here's what Paul says at one point. Take a look. 1 Timothy 5, 17-18. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says you must not muzzle the ox, an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. There are many needs in the church. They're practical. They have to do with staffing. They have to do with sending out missionaries. All of that is part of meeting needs. So it's right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So this is just meeting the needs of God's people. And there are a variety of needs we have. So in short, in short, the call to generosity, the call to give, is to meet needs and expand ministry. That's what, it, that's what we see. I mean, that's just a summary statement. But what does that have to do with us? It actually has a lot to do with us. So what I want to do is I want to take those three, like those three highlights uh, from that Second Corinthians passage, and I want to make some application to us as a church family. It's going to drive us all to our 2023 budget. Here we go. Take a look. You can't outgive God. One of the things I love about our church is how generous this church is. I want to give you some examples, okay? So brag on, brag on what God has been doing among us. So last last year, you know that uh, the United States uh, got out of Afghanistan. One of our missionary partners was working in that country, and they had to they not they they were already out of the country on furlough at that moment, but they had staff and resources, their home, all of it tied up in this place that we were abandoning. And they had a deep need, a very deep need, to be able to get housing outside of the country quickly. And they needed $11,000. Within 48 hours, our little church raised over $8,000. What? That is an example of generosity. What a blessing. Now, more came in, but I just wanted to give you the figure on just the first 48 hours. Also, I want to make, just, just last week, you, did you see what happened here at the end of service? 251 Operation Christmas Child boxes are going to go out into the world from our church family. How cool is that? That's generosity. I'll give you another example. So, we give food. Many of you bring food into the church building so that we can then organize it, distribute it out to Challenger Middle School, where there is some, some great needs among some of the students um, for food when they get home over the weekend, particularly as we come up on Thanksgiving weekend and Christmas break, those things as well. Just this week, 
This is what this is what we did this week. We delivered another round of food to Challoner. We've been doing this on a consistent basis. How did we have that food to give? As much as I love shopping, I've never done that much shopping. That's because you, as a church family, we have been bringing food into this building so that we could organize it and then get it out at appropriate times at Challoner. That's generosity. We've been three years now. We're in our third year doing this so that we can bless others. Okay? So this is something we get to do. And I want to show you one more thing. This is going to get real practical because we're going to get real practical here in a second, too, with numbers. Take a look at what's happening to our budget this year. So currently, I'm going to look, we're looking, I'll, I'll kind of walk us through this very quickly. We are currently just under $5,000 ahead of where we should be. When you take what we need throughout the whole year, what we budgeted, and you just divide that by 52, and you kind of see where we should be if, if we gave equally every week, currently we're just under $5,000 ahead. What, when does that happen? We don't live in Raleigh. We only got three of you that are making big money, and I need you to write a check at the end of service. George. George. Okay. Okay. I've been building to that moment. Yeah. Although I feel like George is going to say, I'll write you a check. I mean, how much do you want? If it's just a check, just don't cash it. Um, okay. All right. So, so... So currently, we're bringing in $104, on average, $104 more than we need every week. Like, like, and we had raised the budget this year. That's just a testimony to the generosity of our church family. What a, what a great, like, what an example. All right, let's go to this next one because we want to keep moving. Giving leads to God's glory. It's happening right here. We have new families coming to our church family. That's so cool. We've had baptisms, people coming to Christ, taking next steps of faith. How awesome has that been? And I want to show you one more thing. Because we don't hear a lot of news coming out of Afghanistan Afghanistan at this point. Um, and Ethan, or Tess, whoever's running that, don't, don't put the, these images up. Just keep them, we're going to keep that in this room. Um, just for some security reasons. So the missionaries that we support he was able to get back into Afghanistan a few weeks ago. He was able to be there for two weeks. And even in the midst of all the challenges of the Taliban ruling that country, there are some pockets of light that are emerging. Now, the gospel is going to take a long time in that country. But you do it through relationships, and you do it by continuing to build out where you can build light. And he sent out, he sent pictures of some of the things that are happening. And I'm telling you, Part of what you're about to see is because of what we were able to do. We were a small part of this. Take a look. There are girls who have now returned to school in parts of the region, and they're taking computer classes. This is one of the specialties of this missionary. Is one of the ways they were able to work in the country uh, before the Taliban took back over. But now they've been able to reestablish some schools for girls and, and doing computer classes. We got to be a little part of that. Now, they're not preaching the gospel yet, but don't think those conversations aren't happening in closed, in closed rooms. Off on walks. Little seeds are being planted. Notice this. The missionary, we, the missionary couple we support, they're able to work with an organization that we also partner with, IDES, um, and they're able to distribute, they've been able to distribute a lot of food. We get to be a part of that. 
And I want you to see this, because water is a really big deal in a place where there, uh, there isn't great access to water, particularly in the rural areas. We also were able to be part of getting a water tower put up and having access to safe drinking water in another region in Afghanistan. These are all places he was able to visit. Who thought that we could get an American into Afghanistan after everything that happened? God opened a way he was able to visit and get back to the uh, United Arab Emirates where they're currently living. I tell you all of this because these are small moments where God's glory is slowly making its way into a place that is very dark. And that is happening because people are giving. I just want you to, like, just want you to see an example of that. All right, third. Giving also meets practical needs. Now let's get brass tacks. And I know this sermon's a bit long. Uh, I get that. But I only do one of them. So just be, just be glad it's not like two hours, okay? All right. We have practical needs in our church. Like I'm talking East 10. So in my time here, in the last three and a half years, let me show you some things that we've done. Uh, some of the projects. We've upgraded the sanctuary for online streaming. That was a big project that cost over $10,000 for various reasons. It had to do with our Wi-Fi, the equipment, the computer, all of it. We put in a new baptistry. I'm just going to say it was a very expensive project. It was, it was either get baptized and come out with tetanus or replace the baptistry. So we went with put, replace the baptistry. Like, that's an expensive project. It took a lot of money. New mulch, new plastic border around the playground, new heating and cooling units. We've had to replace multiple of those, and those are not cheap, each one. And we've had a new metal doors put, on, uh, put in for the fellowship hall. Those were not cheap. That just happened. All of that takes money, but it, that's, we had to do it to function. I just want you to see, like, it just didn't magically happen. We had to write checks for all of those things. So when you give, this is part of the deal. And that's not to mention regular maintenance on the building. When some, We just recently had a major water leak, and we had to spend hundreds of dollars to try to figure out where was the leak happening. But it was either that or just keep, keep paying the water, a really, really high water bill. Like, just regular maintenance to the building. Not to mention just regular ministry expenses that, that go on week after week after week. That's just part of what it means to be a church family, and it takes money to do it. Okay? I want you to show you now what might be our greatest need. And it might not be the one you're thinking of right off the bat. I want to show you uh, a visualization of our church demographics. So this has to do with anybody that has some connection to our church. It doesn't mean they come every week, but some connection to our church with some sense of like regularity or with some rhythm. Okay? This is the demographics of our church family. We put this into our database, our, and that software will visualize that data for us so that we can see it. So you can't see this, but this is by age. So it's 0 to 3, 4 to 11, 12 to 18, 19 to 25, 25 to 35, 26 to 35, 36 to 50, 51 to 64, and then 65 and up. And I think you can see very quickly what I see. We have a lot of older people in our church. But do you see what we also have a lot of? A lot of younger people that have a connection to our church. So, so we have at least 81, 81 children and youth that are connected to our church family. 
And through a various series of events, after blessing our church for so long, you know, Lauren Harris stepped down as our youth director uh, back in August. I have been your youth director. That kind of works, but not really. Like, yeah, so Ryland just said, no, no, it's not working. Um, he doesn't like his dad as his youth minister. Um, I don't understand. Um, so, so what I want you to see is one of our greatest needs is in the next generation. If the church is, is just one generation from extinction, particularly a local church, we have a very promising future here at East 10th Street. The problem is that we don't have someone fully dedicated to that role right now to help not only expand what we have, to, to minister to what we have, but to expand all the opportunities there are to bless and be involved in our community. Do, do you know there are youth ministers that are in these schools through FCA and other, and, and, and other ministries that are just tapping into this great need we have to, to really bring the message of Jesus to particularly that middle school and high school age. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm, I, I, can't be your, I can't be the preacher and the youth, the full youth minister. We need someone there. We need someone who can oversee the children and youth, and I don't think just on a part-time level. So here's, here's the thing coming. The board has approved... It started with the elders, moved to the finance team, and then the full board has voted on this proposed 2023 budget. And what's included in that budget, which is going to take this budget to a level it's never seen, is a full-time youth minister position. And, it's, and now we've had full-time youth ministers here, but when you take it just on numbers, the budget's not been this high. Now, if you take the budget in general, what you're going to see is actually, when you see it, there are many categories that have been brought down but it's this category that has taken it way up. Roughly $25,000 increase because of this position. And it is a step of faith. Now, it's based on some data. We need this, and I wanted you to see this. We need this. But I also want you to know it's going to take sacrifice. And I don't take that lightly. I don't think preachers get to ask for, big, for, for money very often. At least honest preachers don't, don't do it very often. This is a moment, if this is going to happen, that we're going to need to all pitch in. Now, here's the cool thing. If we don't find the right person, if God doesn't send us the right person, we're not out of anything. Like, we're not, going to, we're not paying the money to a nobody. we got to wait for the right person. But we can't go look for the right person until our church family has decided we're in. We're in. We're in on this. We will make sure we can pay for that. And we will pay for that. If God sends the right person. And if God does send the right person, you're going to want to pay that. And so we wait. But we, to start, we've got we to gotta establish the position. So I want to show you what this is going to mean for the budget, just broad terms. If you're looking at this, so this is the total budget, 2022, 2023, and then this is weekly budget numbers. Roughly the budget is going up 34786 Roughly 25000 of that is moving from a part-time to a full-time position. That would mean that on average we're going to need roughly $670 more every week. That's no small thing. So I, don't, I know I don't, and I know everybody that's had a part of this discussion does not take this lightly. So I just want you to see the need. And so I'm going to give you this next step. Here it is. This is probably the longest next step I've ever had given you. And it's probably the most concentrated in this just one season of our church family. 
Here's what I'm asking you to do. Seriously consider to either start giving for the first time or increase your giving as a step of faith in what God is doing here in our church family and for the next generation. That's what I'm asking. At a church I was at previously, there was a family. They were a poor family. And I remember after preaching a sermon on giving, they decided they were going to start giving $10 a week. Wasn't a lot, but it was a lot for them. And that family has thrived. I think they just recently bought a house. I would have never thought this family was going to buy a house. I don't think it's like give $10, get a house. I don't think that's what's happening. But when they showed themselves faithful with a little, God has a way of blessing in ways you can't foresee. And so what I'm asking is you to start giving if you've not. And if you are, would you consider giving more? Because that's what it's going to take for us uh, to pull this off. Uh, I don't say that lightly. When this conversation was happening a few months ago, just in our own home, knowing that Tess and I bantered back and forth about what maybe our church needs and what we were seeing, because we have kids in every age bracket here, um, Tess immediately said, we need to increase our giving, and, and she named a number. I'm like, okay, then I guess that's what we're going to need to do. So I'm not asking you to do anything our family's not doing as well. But we're all in together. Now, if you're not part of our church family, I want to be real clear. If you have a church somewhere else, give to that church. I'm not asking you, pull your money and give it to East 10. Now, if God so leads you there, I would not stop what God leads you to do. But I need you to understand, and many of you know me, I have an allergy to just promoting the East 10th brand. We're not about promoting the East 10th brand. We're about being a church family that meets the needs and can expand the ministry God's given us to do. That's what we're about. So if this is where you're going to church, then give here. But like, please understand, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to switch allegiances or anything here or play the God card to make you feel guilty. The call is God's grace has changed us. Let's be generous. And I wanted you to see what's coming. So next week when you see the budget, we're going to put a balance sheet with it just so you can see where our accounts are. Like, what's in the checking account? What's in the savings account? You're going to see all of that, okay? Just, just We're transparent. I just want you to know why the budget looks the way it does and where the need is. And why I think it's biblical that I would actually preach a sermon like this to call our church family to give a little bit more. All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and how it challenges us. Now just your grace does its work among us. And I'm going to leave it there. Continue to transform us. Continue to take the generosity that we, that, we, that we do have and expand it so that you are glorified. And if it comes to the point where this church approves, that our church family approves this budget and we start looking, we pray now with just so many people in the room, would you send us the right person if you see so fit and it be your will? We're doing as much as we can in our wisdom. We lean on yours and your sovereignty for the rest. And we pray that in the name of Christ Jesus. And together we say.